Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday, May 31st, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, the full ride here on the Chase Thomas Podcast Network. It's Wednesday morning, so you know what that means. It means fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green on the program to talk all things college football. On today's show, we talked about the SEC scheduling format, if it's going to be eight or nine games here in 2023. Uh, we talk about uh, the CBS on SC, or the SEC on CBS uh, games of the week, those 330 slots that have already been revealed uh, this week and uh, who might pick up a couple of those last spots and just this is the end of uh, SEC on CBS and who might be uh, in the booth for those ABC uh, SEC games going into next year and all that good stuff. Big point of the show though, first timers in the college football playoff in 2023-2024. Uh, we talk about Utah, Texas, Texas A&M, Penn State, and Tennessee and whether any of these schools uh, are likely to break that uh, streak where they have not made the college football playoff uh, since it has been invented here in the sport. Uh, plus the minuses for each, why um, it uh, is more likely for some than others. All that and more coming up with Matt on today's edition of the program. As always, folks, if you are already subscribed to this program, first, thank you. Uh, but if you have not already and you're a subscriber and you like this very show, hit that pause button and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts. Um, it helps other people find the show, and it's the easiest way to help this show continue to grow a little bit more each and every day. It helps. Uh, if you are a first-time listener, first, thank you, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the program today. And uh, to make sure that you never miss uh, an episode of this daily national sports show, make sure you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. Um New content each and every day. Um, college football every Wednesday here on the full ride on the Chase Thomas Podcast Network, CTPN. Um, so all that being said, if you have any college football questions for Matt and myself, you would like us to answer on next week's show, you can always email us at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at the show at pod Chase Thomas. So give that a follow if you're not already. You can also watch us. Yeah, 
every episode, full episodes, video, clips, shorts, all that good stuff on our YouTube page. So we near a thousand. So make sure you're subscribed and get us there uh, today. YouTube.com slash Chase Podcast. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff. So there you go. All kinds of fun stuff. And uh, it's Wednesday. So it's time for Matt. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. We're mere hours removed from the Tennessee Volunteers getting the crystal ball for five star prospect mike matthews five-star number one overall player last year nico iamaliava at quarterback it was only natural that that would start permeating to other skill position playmakers around nico coming into the fold so mike matthews you've got jj harrell you might have amari jefferson who evened up with georgia and alabama over the weekend the 865 live uh big time weekend following georgia's big time uh, recruiting again the following week. Sammy Brown coming in, and uh, many are saying past Clemson. Uh, the Vols past Clemson, so it might just be down to Tennessee and Georgia for the five-star linebacker. Um, and that the ball that he said uh, that the Vols set the bar high uh, with that visit here over the weekend. And then you know Ryan Wingo still spent a lot of time with this staff. Um, you get Peyton Lewis in the fold, the four-star running back out of. Salem, Virginia. He commits to the Vols this weekend. Williams Winery, the five-star defensive lineman, uh, trending towards Tennessee. It looks like it's down to Tennessee, Oklahoma there. Um, Five-star Daniel, or four or five-star running back Daniel Hill also uh, made it to campus. He's going to be in the final three for South Carolina, Alabama. We've got Braylon Russell, the four-star running back out of Arkansas, who it's down to Arkansas and Tennessee. So, all of this to say, Matt Green, when we say everything school HQ around here, we say, hey, it doesn't mean only that the Tennessee baseball team has made the NCAA tournament again and on their way with the uh, fifth, uh, fifth best odds of winning the dang thing in a down year. That's not to say the Lady Vols softball team who made the College World Series over the weekend uh, is not the only thing that we're doing. It's not to say that rowing it's not to say that Tennessee football recruiting. It's not to say that Joe, uh, Joe Milton and Ramel Keaton spending time at the NASDAQ in New York City last week is the only thing that Tennessee is doing here on Everything School HQ. What it is meaning to say is that there's always good news popping up here on Rocky Top. And you, you look away for one moment and bam, another big thing popping up for the Vols. So with all that being said, fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green is here Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Wow. I, uh, I don't even know where to begin <laughs> with all that that you said. Speaking of everything school, I, I saw, I don't know if you saw a Saturday Down South post recently about the most regular season titles in mm. all sports the past decade. Um, according to this, Tennessee isn't, isn't very much of an anything school. If we're mm. being honest, they, they're fourth to last. Only six, only six regular season titles. Only uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Missouri are uh, are below that. Georgia, Georgia's at fifteen, kind of middle of the pack in the SEC. Uh, Arkansas with fifty three, they're leading the way. So, yeah, 
Tennessee's not, in recent years, this past decade, going all sports. So I don't know. I, I was told they were in everything school. You start from Danny White on Matt Green, and it's all okay, about the present. So like a three years ago, everything school. That's that's what that's what we're going with. Look, everything. The Parkview Tennessee connection is strong. Mike Matthews from the alumni Parkview High School. Okay, that was that was my second point here. We're, we're celebrating crystal ball predictions now. We are in this in this fickle world that is college football recruiting. We're we're celebrating crystal balls. I mean, I seem to recall Georgia fans were celebrating the Dylan Riola crystal ball weeks. I think they were getting excited because all the things were pointing to Dylan Riola. That was also like a a recruitment that was really narrowed down to like a couple teams. Like, is that not Mike how, Matthews? Is, I mean, he's, two. he's wide open. No. no one knows what this guy's gonna do. He's got he's got his five officials. He's taken like this guy. I'm just saying, I, I don't get a good read on this guy either way. It's it's definitely encouraging. If I was a Tennessee fan, I would be, I would be, uh, you know, uh, a, a fist pump inside. You know, maybe uh, you know, by your side, like just a little fist pump. Not not going nuts. Not 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 celebrating anything. It's just nowhere near done. A commitment feels good right now, but commitment doesn't even like tell you everything. But I mean, crystal ball predictions. I don't I don't know these guys. If it's Wilt Fong, then Wilt Fong knows his, knows his stuff. But any anyone other than Rusty or Wilt Fong, I'm like, ah, I'll believe it when I see it. Wow. Really wanting to rain on my parade this evening. Not I just agree. throwing shade at anyone out there making college football predictions that's uh, listening to this podcast. But um, hopefully we've got some 24-7 people listening to this. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I Mike Matthews, it'd, it'd be a huge get for Tennessee. But I just don't don't count your chickens before they hatch, as they say. If this class winds up, because you already got Nathan Laycock, uh, the four-star, who's just I'm so excited about here in the fold, who's who's on campus now, out of North Carolina, who I think is going to be a star here. Um, if they are able to find a way, because I was just betting on them getting two of, like basically just splitting Amari and, and Mike um, to go along with J.J. Harrell. And if they end up with three, if they end up with Amari Jefferson and Mike Matthews and J.J. Harrell, that's just... You talk about uh, just a cornucopia of skilled player talent right there. That's uh, that's pretty interesting, and I'm interested to see what happens with the kid um, who was in over the weekend who seems like he's been leaning uh, uh, Florida all week uh, or all year. Um, Amir Jackson out of Portal, Georgia, um, made a good impression there, the four-star tight end that Tennessee pivoted to following Jaden Riddell's commitment to the Dogs. So interesting to see if Tennessee is able to get him in the boat because they still need more tight end depth. They got Jonathan Eccles, the five-star tight end commit, um, who's been a commit for about a year now uh, from IMG, but they need another one in the boat because it's a very thin <laughs> tight end room, and they're going to be without McAllen Castles and Jacob Warren going to next year. So when you talk about them, there's not a lot left. Uh, when I say not a lot, there's nothing left behind Ethan Davis uh, going into next year of the Collins Hill four-star who uh, I think will be a factor this year. So that concludes uh, the Tennessee minute here uh, to kick things off, but it was eight, six, five live. It was following y'all's weekend. Uh, and one last year. Hey, Georgia's not done next weekend is a uh, Rayola, Rayola's actual official visit. And that's going to be absolutely loaded weekend for, for Georgia's class. I know Ryan Wingo and a bunch of committed prospects are going to be there, but I think Wingo is the one that Georgia fans need to, need to focus on now because to provide an update on Jeremiah Smith and my expert analysis of following recruiting as a fan for however long, 
this guy was in some workout rocking a Georgia, like dry fit, whatever, uh, t-shirt thing while in the workout. Boom. That's a, that's a red, that's a red flag if I've ever seen it. Like he's not going to Georgia. He's loving the attention, but if it's, if it's serious, I don't think you rock that, that gear, like actually in public. Like, I think you want to be more low key. Like, I remember, who was it, like, Trey Sanders, I want to say, was, like, a, he rocked, like, a Florida hoodie on signing day, and it's, like, that's, like, the kiss of death. It's, like, no, if he's this public showing you love, like, it's, no, it's probably not going to happen. That's interesting. Um, maybe that's true. I that uh, I, I always think that was pretty hard anyway, though. Like, when you're sleeping, like, I think with wide receivers anyway, you're up against um ohio state they're going to be the cream of the crop here as long as brian hartline is the lead recruiter at ohio state i mean they're going to have two first round guys again this year and uh, uh i was what is it a bedka i always forget his name emmanuel becca what is his abuka. name abuka and then obviously marvin harrison uh, mecca G. abuka i believe yeah um two super talented dudes who are going probably top 15 uh once again the nfl is just going to only have uh, Ohio State wide receivers at uh, some point here. So, um, for sure. And I mean, I wouldn't put anything past the way Georgia recruits and everything and getting Riola and how good the class could be, but it's just like don't get your don't get your hopes up that you're going to get this five-star like potentially like generational wide receiver talent uh, away from Ohio State. It's just that's going to be a long shot. For sure. What else might not be a long shot, though, Matt Green, is the SEC staying at eight conference games. And we're going to see what happens this week with the SEC meetings. And there's a lot of folks who uh, aren't sure that anything gets done uh, this week, that they still might not come to a full-on agreement because different teams have different motivations, different folks want different things. I don't know what ultimately happens i think it seems like reading through the tea leaves and listening to different people talk about it that it is leaning eight plus one meaning the eight conference games plus the one power five non-conference game still being the requirement so that preserves like louisville kentucky that preserves georgia georgia tech that preserves clemson south carolina those kind of things it doesn't seem like you're going to get either eight and zero or nine and zero it seems like you're either getting nine what are you plus saying zero as in no requirement to play a not a, pa- uh, a power five non-conference game. Cause gotcha. that's the requirement right now. So that's your way out of it. And I think there's another way around this too, where I, I think it was Graham coffee who tweeted about this, where it's like, it doesn't mean that they would have to do the pods or that it would, the schedule would be, or you would lose a lot of permanent rivalries. If you went to the eight, what you could do is like you break it up where you everyone goes there once every four years and you kind of you still have your three permanent rivals and there's a way to still rotate uh enough but it would just be you don't get to go every other year it would be once every basically if you're there as a freshman to your senior year there's a way to do it that way um but yeah i just i think it seems like it's going to come down to the it to ESPN having to throw out more money, right? Like it seems like if ESPN's not going to give more money to the SEC to play an extra conference game, conference teams are like, uh, we want to go bowling and we don't want to be two and 10, um, and have to play like nine conference games plus a power five non-conference game. Like if you're Vanderbilt, Mississippi state, um, zoo, uh, I mean, insert, 
perennial. Hey, leave Mizzou out of this, though, because according to reports, they're actually one of the teams that would actually wants nine games. I think it was like Georgia, Florida, LSU. And then even in the article, just throwing strays at Missouri. It was like, and surprisingly enough, Missouri. Uh, well, I know Tennessee th- doesn't want it, apparently. Because Missouri's been one of those that, like, because they don't have that locked rival like a lot of, like, a South Carolina or yeah. Florida has. It seems like they've loaded up on cupcakes uh, most years at a conference. So, if, hey, they're trying to play nine conference games. They're like, hey, let's do it. But I hope if they keep it at eight that maybe they make a two uh, power five requirement or something because so mm-hmm. many teams do have that one that's like and you see what certain teams like alabama and georgia and i'm not 100 percent sure what tennessee's future schedule but like some teams are playing some just voluntarily playing some big time at a conference game so it would be nice to like obviously you still got two games to work with and maybe get your get your uh paycheck game to to a gf g5 school but um, I don't know. I would, I just, I want to, if, if it means we can see more power five, power five matchups, like then I'm, I'm all for it. I, the one thing I have the issue with, like you, the, the current format, like the East and West, that's obviously not an option, right? I, I don't think they can still continue to do that because then you're going seven divisional games and one versus the West. Then when you're saying you're in the same scheduling, like rut that we are now where, it takes 15 years to play everyone home and home. Like it's just, it's kind of ridiculous. So you would have to lock, you would have to move that game. So that would, you would lose Auburn, Georgia, and you would lose Alabama, Tennessee like that. So I think what they were going to do was the three, six, if they go to nine games. So I assume they're just going to go three, five at an eight game schedule. And I just worry with eight games in the three, five, if you, actually end up if the tiebreaker for the sec championship becomes like more of a an ordeal like last year you saw washington you know didn't even play usc i think and usc somehow got the tiebreaker for them and went and went to the the conference championship like you're gonna have more instances like that i think with an eight game schedule versus a nine game schedule just the probability of just playing that team potentially but so that's the one thing i worry about but um yeah, I, I think uh, I think that's. I'm. I was definitely disappointed when I first heard that they're leaning to uh, to eight games over nine. I mean, if they go eight, I wonder if, is Georgia Auburn out every year. I mean, no. See, I think if you're going with the three locked rivals, like Georgia Auburn still stays. I okay. mean, that's that's literally it's the Deep South's oldest rivalry, right? It's mm. the longest running rivalry in the whole sec so i think that's i think that's definitely still in i think georgia florida is still in you know but georgia tennessee that's definitely going to be a game you lose every year and it's like while like ncaa football like didn't consider that a, an official rivalry game you know like back in the day if you're, if you're playing the game tennessee georgia is 100 percent a rivalry like we we obviously know that the two the two states touch each other and the history goes way back so that that'd be a weird one not to get every year but you're not going to get through everyone home and home in four years but i think you would get it by five because you had to do the three six model to actually play everyone home and home twice in a four year or everyone home and home uh, in a four-year period this i guess with three five it'd just be like a four and a half year kind of rotation and make it a little 
you know, it, it wouldn't be as clean as the three six. Just kind of you have you know who your opponents are, and even in odd years, but uh, they'll make it work, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I my main thing is just preserve the three. I don't really care if you do eight or nine. Just preserve three permanent rivals, and I'm good. Yeah, you got to preserve the three because the, the the divisions at this point, it's just everyone's done with the divisions. It's mm-hmm. like we just, but you college football is built on the rival, on like the traditional rivals. So it's like those certain games you just can't not have. And I wonder if you know if we had two more years of what the Tennessee Alabama rivalry had been for the last decade. Like, I wonder if we'd all feel like that's one where, like, oh, we're not losing Tennessee, Alabama, you know? But I feel like after last year, like, on a national scale, people are like, oh, this Tennessee, Alabama thing is awesome. It's like people forgot about it because it's just been so long since, since, since Tennessee was on that level. I mean, you had Legion Field is where it, like, used to be played at. And, I mean, it was, I would argue if you talk to any local Tennessee fan or anybody else, it's like, it's not even close. Like Alabama, Tennessee is the one you preserve at all costs. Like it over anybody else, any rivalry. And you know what? It's funny too. Um, Tennessee used to play Auburn every year. Like that's just forgotten. Like Tennessee and Auburn used to play every year. And that was just a, a normal thing. And they didn't have like a name, the rivalry type name, but that was something you did and you just got used to it. Like it just stopped and that was it. But getting that back into the fold, cause I couldn't even tell you the last time Auburn's been in kneeling. Like it's been a long, long time. So uh i would say alabama tennessee isn't going anywhere and like you said the best version of uh alabama tennessee is i mean the highest rated college football game in the sec last year so um yeah that's uh one worth preserving because fans on both sides still very much hate one another and i mean josh Pate, i think tweeted la- uh like the other day this um that uh, i think the original tweet was like what was the loudest college football venue you've ever been in and uh, you've ever been in person? And he said, uh, Tennessee, Alabama last year was the loudest uh, football atmosphere he's ever been in uh, college football wise. So I think just seeing that and what that looked like, especially at the end and how the game went, I mean, when both teams are up, that is a really, really, really important college football game it's just good like those are just the gimmies like don't overthink this college football leaders don't overthink this sec administrators like you know the ones that you need to keep you know the ones that you need to preserve don't make this overly complicated like just just don't do it and then there's the other school of thought which is with what's going on with the acc um and the big 12 and the pac 12 it's like we can make these decisions but like will it matter in a couple years if the acc schools find a way out of this grant of rights and florida state north carolina or sec teams in three years like just because they're making these rules now and they're doing the schedule format like as we've seen you can do whatever you want with these schedules like they you can kick teams out put teams in like there are rumors that like how much longer are we going to do the buying games like i mean we had a pandemic and then yeah. rescheduled the whole sec schedule like in a couple months like, yeah if it's they, a disaster they act like it's complicated but it's really it not and if it's a disaster and fans don't like it and coaches and they'll be like all right we'll go vote again at the spring meetings in destin and we'll hash it out all over again i just I'm not really, I'm not sweating it. I, I think it will still be fine. I think I'll still very much enjoy the college football season and uh, we'll figure it out. We The year is, uh, the year's 2035 <laughs> and we have the two major conferences of the SEC and the Big Ten and that's all of college football. 
And then people are like, you know, maybe we should kind of divide these up more. And the ones on the West Coast are all in their one conference. Mm -hmm. And then maybe that Midwest, like Texas area, they're kind of all in one conference. And then Atlantic Coast, that's kind of its own area. And then, I don't know, they'll, they'll create giant divisions of those conferences. And it's like, I don't know, we'll be back to where we are, but... I do think um, that's what ends up happening when they get to these super conferences. I think we have the divisions, and it'll just be like the Pac-12 division in the Big Ten is what will end up happening. And it'll just be like, I guess, the NFL, and you're like, I don't know how you're doing the divisions, but the Eagles need to play the the, the Cowboys every year and the Giants mm-hmm. um, because it's it's like the NFL divisions aren't even really that old for what they are. Uh, the Falcons currently. used to be in the NFC West. Yeah, the 49ers Falcons was like a rivalry, quote mm-hmm. unquote. So yeah. It was weird. It doesn't matter. Um, it's just sports. It's all very silly. Uh, did you have any thoughts on the SEC on uh, CBS schedule that's already been released here, Matt Green? Did I see Georgia, South Carolina already put on there? Yes. Got the nod over Tennessee, Florida. I don't know. Does that know mean it's a the... night game? No, it's a 330. No, I'm uh... saying Tennessee, Florida. Uh, probably will be. Yeah, I couldn't I mean... tell you the last time Tennessee, Florida was a night game at Tennessee or either, really. I don't even know when it would have been. Yeah, it seems like that's been kind of the uh, that first SEC CBS game of most years, Tennessee Florida. But obviously, thanks a lot, uh, Florida. You got us yeah. demoted to uh, Jefferson Pilot at noon. But I think I think also what this is is people seen Georgia's schedule and they're like, <laughs> this is South Carolina week three. They're going to be like two and zero Georgia. They're, this is going to be one of the... I don't think South Carolina... I mean, they're not even favored in week one. No, that's true. They got North Carolina mm-hmm. early on. But, but um, yeah, so it's like a, probably an opportunity to like guarantee Georgia for like a big-time atmosphere, home game, that early in the season where South Carolina's season isn't over yet. This isn't just a, an automatic win. Like, uh, it most likely will. Not to disrespect uh, South Carolina, but Georgia's been... Um, put it on them the last couple times they've played uh, but yeah and then obviously later in the year you had georgia florida they've already put on the uh on the schedule and then just uh missouri and arkansas for that uh that black friday uh game which is solid little border border uh, rivalry that i've become a fan of in recent years but um the one thing it's october 14th we got mm-hmm. a, a a double header mm-hmm. um so have you seen the schedule for october 14th I have not. So we see we got this is when they got like the noon and then the three thirty game. We got Arkansas at Alabama, A and M at Tennessee, Auburn at LSU, Florida at South Carolina. Who do you think they go with the doubleheader there? Who's the who's the primetime game there? Say it again. I would say either A and M Tennessee or uh, Arkansas at Alabama. I think or Auburn at LSU. I think Auburn LSU gets three thirty, and then I think Tennessee LSU gets the second game, or Tennessee so and that's, that's I think the noon the noon three thirty doubleheader or so. noon that's what I meant. Yeah, I think it's noon is Auburn LSU and three thirty is Tennessee A and M Tennessee. I think A and M Tennessee is just one of those games you don't get a lot, and I think uh, I it's think huge the, fan bases. I think the Aggies could uh, could surprise some people this year too. So I think you could see both teams. Both teams looking good coming into that game. Um, then, the, then, then the last doubleheader or the, the actual night game, November fourth, uh, three thirty and seven forty-five. On that day, I believe you have Alabama or LSU at Alabama, and then 
I don't know, maybe uh, maybe A and M, Ole Miss, maybe uh, Arkansas, Florida. I don't know if that's if that's going to be interesting at all. Hmm. But um, yeah, then Tennessee, UConn. I don't think that's going to be the one. But yeah, we'll see. Missouri at Georgia, probably not. Um, but yeah, so LSU at Alabama, probably the uh, the night game, and, it, and it's in its typical traditional slot that it's gotten over the years. Yeah, one one last ride for that night game. Uh, on CBS for Alabama LSU. For sure. And it will be another fun one um, for sure there. Uh, I wouldn't say one last ride. I think there'll be a permanent rival potentially. I think I'm LSU... saying on CBS. Oh, on like CBS. This is the last yeah. one, yeah. That's going to be weird, man. It is going to be an adjustment making, uh, making that. Do we know who the favorites are to call the pro- the 330 ABC games for the SEC? Do we know that they're going to keep doing a 330 like, are I would they not, assume, I, right? I would hope so, because I love that 3.30 slot. I mean, Again, it's, you would just, like, you're just, why are you making it more complicated for the fans? They know, like, everyone in the Southeast knows it's almost 3.30. I need to move my I, dial to CBS. I would say, um, I mean, if it's the 3.30, if you're keeping that as the best one, then it's got to be Fowler and Herb Street, right? Calling the 3.30 CBS. I guess they move up. They're getting old, too. They're like, hey, man, we get that 3.30. You get the day done. Get the day work day done by 8 o'clock. Get home. Uh, don't <laughs> have to be there overnight. Um, but that's I would true. think if that's, still, if that's still your prime time, but it's like now that they have access to all of the sec catalog then who knows what they're going to do who knows if the seven o'clock one becomes the because it's the seven o'clock espn game always seemed like that second best game of the week but that was mm-hmm. always still a really good game so i mean I, I would say uh who is it mcdonough and blackledge but i think i want to say blackledge like signed with someone else like nbc or something like that that sounds right yeah but um i feel like they were probably always my favorite uh pairing and then you got who tessator who tessator like like, you didn't love blackledge and uh patrick on espn late auburn mississippi state and blackledge mike patrick yeah like back in the no uh mcdonald's way better than mike patrick i don't know it was uh when they were walking through what was blackledge's where he would go to the town what did they call it where he's like yeah the taste of the town and he'd go and they'd cut away that man would eat some food i think they i think they had to uh, get him (laughs) off that diet yeah well it was uh i i just the nostalgia of our youth man that but uh, who's who's a tessitore is he usually with like mcelroy that sounds right yes so that they're they're up there as far as the um, they could get that 330 slot that wouldn't surprise me actually yeah i don't i would i would bet on fowler and herb street because that's the that's the spot you want. Like that's three thirty, three thirty CBS. That's I can't even say it. Three thirty ESPN. I don't think Herbie's going to do only SEC. That doesn't strike me. I think they're going to stay the seven thirty and get the primetime favorite one. I think they probably want the variety. I don't think. Fowler but how and... often is that game going to now be an SEC game? That that's true. Primetime ABC. So I guess that's true. So I don't know. It's tough to say. CBS has just owned that slot for so long. You know, yeah. maybe ESPN. Disney, maybe they want it. Maybe. God, it's going to get taking. It's going to take getting used to to flip through and see Maryland, Michigan State at 3.30 on a CBS Saturday. I just, it's going to take some time. It's going to be weird. I'm just probably going to watch CBS significantly less than I once did uh, on my college football rotation. Um, our big show topic here, uh, Matt Green. I thought this could be a fun exercise. The next team... 
to make their first college football playoff performance or appearance, excuse me, in the 2023-2024 college football season. Uh, I have one wild card uh, for this, and then I have a handful. I got five teams here that I thought we could parse through, and I thought it was pretty fascinating to go through who's made it and who haven't. There's more teams that have made the CFP than I thought actually had to this point uh, going through the list. You just kind of forget they actually did make it, and you um, you go back through it, and you're like, I guess that, yeah, they could say they made the playoff years ago. Um, but you're talking our, about Washington, aren't you? I'm talking about, I mean, Washington for whatever reason is ingrained in my head, but like it just with the Jake Browning struggles against, uh, Bama. But I mean, that one's in there, but I mean, you just forget about Oregon cause it feels like they, yeah. Florida they, state, they, Florida. Yeah. It just, it was so early on in the process that you just are like, I guess they did. That's right. Um, but Matt Green, my five here with the wild. So are these being, in order? No, these are not in order. Mm. Are you going to put them in order? Mm, we, uh, g- give me a number one give me your number one number one most likely in 2023 2024 to make the college ball playoff for the first time for the university among these teams utah texas texas a&m penn state and tennessee of that list this is i hate doing this but my mind can't quit it where I think of this list, and we'll get into why and why not they won't do it this year and break is that. This, is this list finalized? Because I think you I think get a big omission on this list. Well, you can throw the omission in there, uh, potentially. The uh, USC Trojans, I think you got to put on this list. Well, see, that's interesting because I don't think they are going to make the CFP, and I would say that they have a pretty slim chance of making the college ball playoff this year. They didn't make the cut for me. I think they might be okay. the third or fourth best Pac-12 team uh, altogether. Mm. Defense is just not good enough. I just, I don't trust them. Oregon's more complete. Washington's more complete. Utah's more complete. I'm just not there. And what's ingrained in the back, in my skull, Matt Green, is Utah just bouncing off these USC defenders. Like, Bear Alexander is not going to uh, be the difference between Alex Grinch having a top 20 uh, voracious Trojan defense in 2023. I just, Caleb Williams is awesome. Best quarterback in the sport but I don't think it's going to be enough uh, for USC to actually break through. So I actually didn't have them as a realistic CFP uh, playoff choice here. I think Utah has a much better opportunity with Cam Rising coming back and company here. And we'll get into why certain teams, I think, are more likely to break that streak. But um, with with that list, you asked me the question of with that list, who I think, um, and I think it's Texas, last year in the Big 12, TCU is not going to have the season they just had all over again. It's pretty open when you look at the the Big 12 right now. If Quinn Ewers is as good as advertised, he's had a full year in the system. Best receiving core in the conference. Defense looked like they made significant progress last year. Like, I think Texas is the answer. Like, before you have to do the SEC gauntlet, if you want to make the CFP, it's a good year to do it, Texas. So I think of this group... Texas strikes me as the most likely. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like the SEC team, it's like the the probability of that new team getting through the SEC is not high, but it's mm-hmm. like if they do, they're guaranteed a spot in the in the playoff. Like like LSU has their year where they run the table and they're in the playoff. Like mm-hmm. so I think that's I'm glad you brought this up because I feel like there's this like notion that 
the playoff, like just the rich got richer during the playoff era and like, you know, oh, all this is the same four teams every year type of thing. Mm. And like the last, like we've had like several playoffs in a row where there's a new team in it. Like we had mm. Michigan and uh, Cincinnati in 21. We had TCU in 2022, like LSU made their run. Like Notre Dame got in there a couple times. Like, I mean, even Georgia and Clemson, like they were not powerhouses before the playoffs started. And so they, two teams that hadn't won in like 30 something years when, by the time they uh, broke their drought. So the you can still there can still be some new blood in in the playoff next year i personally think the most likely to do it next year to me utah just feels like a 10 and 2 team like they're good Mm. years they're like a two loss team they're just really good they're really solid but like there just always seems to be something missing i feel like penn state might be the most likely here because i just i Ohio State's always going to be good, right? Got cat got my tongue there. Ohio State, uh, <laughs> Ohio State's always going to be good, but they don't feel like they're invincible coming into twenty twenty three. Like Michigan is is good, but even Michigan style, like they don't feel like dominant. Like I mean, they dominated some teams last year. Don't get me wrong; they scored a lot of points. But JJ McCarthy's like he's not that like superstar quarterback. So it's like Michigan feels like like they have a super high floor but like maybe not maybe not a ceiling of a national championship it might be but there just doesn't there seems to be something like that there might be something um like a weakness to michigan you know what i mean like penn state this feels like they've had some good teams a couple years in a row that basically beat most of the good teams they played and just lost to those best teams they played but i really like what penn state's putting together and if I happen to put like a the, a team that's gonna make their first chance, like over who else you had, like Texas A and M or Tennessee, like Tennessee is up here on the list for sure. I don't feel like they're there in twenty twenty three, but like even like a Florida or something is probably like fairly high on like the list of teams that can be a first time playoff uh, contender. You know, I don't think they're going to do it, but A and M, it's like. They might make a bowl game, you know. They could they could go to the playoff, but they could they could just miss it completely. So, I uh, I, I kind of like Penn State. I don't I don't I like your Texas pick too. I think um, this this might be their last chance to have a, a a good easy road to the playoff. Yeah, I mean Penn State sixty percent uh, blue chip ratio, uh, top ten uh, right there. Texas at sixty four percent at eight um the only team florida at the highest there of any team and we we didn't add florida they're at 80 percent. so uh with uh who they just brought in so a lot of talent there that they're bringing in year over year and you can see it. like they have the talent if they can figure it all out to uh to make it in if they can get uh certain big positions right so let's break them down one at a time here matt green utah we mentioned him a little bit i have some notes here uh jacquinan jackson who started out as a as a quarterback at Utah, he's now the, the the new lead tailback. They obviously kicked the crap out of USC twice last year. Um, physical bet on Kyle Winningham, the most underrated football coach. I would ar- maybe argue in the country, like the man just wins year over year. He just put together another great class. I don't know how Utah is still recruiting well uh, in this uh, current NIL climate and everything else going on, but they just win football games. Like you just keep doubting them. You keep going against Utah and they're not sexy. They're not fun, 
but I think it's huge that they got Cam Rising back. Like, he was a player. He was a gamer. They went into the Swamp, beat Florida last year. They get him at home this year. You get UCLA at home. You get uh, – you have to go to USC. No, they lost to Florida last year. Or, excuse me, they lost to Florida, yeah. So you lost to Florida, but it was on the road at the Swamp. You should have won that game, like, ultimately. Like, going back through, the fumble at the end, on the one, whatever it was. I think, they, I think they got the pick in the end zone. Pick in the end zone, the that's end, what it was. Yeah. It was right there. Like, you just – it was dumb. It was a dumb way to lose. And then you go to USC. It was, it was a winnable game, but for the Florida fans out there, they won that game for sure. Sure. And that's fine. Whatever. You get them at home this year to kick things off. So you can set the statement early like, no, we're not messing around this year. We're not going to dig ourselves a hole. Then you have at USC in October, but you get Oregon at home. That's a big one. You get Oregon at home. You got to go to Washington, but you get Oregon at home, UCLA at home, Florida at home, USC on the road. Like, who cares? Like, you've kicked the crap. You're not worried about going into Los Angeles to beat them there. At Washington's the game I have circled. November 11th, if they can get through that game or at least get through the Pac-12 or the regular season 11-1 and and then just take their chances against one of the other best teams in the Pac-12 come the title game, I think the path is pretty clear. Uh, I think it's pretty reasonable to say you could see a scenario where things work, um, work out for the Utes and they finally break through and make the playoff. I mean, it's just you kept Andy Ludwig. He was... Also, who's just been a great OC for Utah for years. Like, we thought he was going to end up in Notre Dame. Notre Dame thought he was going to end up at Notre Dame. He did not end up at Notre Dame. So you have that continuity. Replacing Dalton Kincaid in uh, their other starting tight end, it's going to be tough. But I just it goes back to this trust of development. And I think they're going to have a top 10 quarterback again in the sport. Older quarterbacks win in this thing. And I think their defense is going to be elite all over again in the schedule, I like how it plays out for him. I think I'm not betting on it. I wouldn't bet the mortgage on Utah making the playoff, but I think they're on my list here because I, I could see a pretty reasonable case for Utah getting over the hump. Do you do you agree? Yeah, I want to. I want to say I picked Utah uh, to make the playoff last year in our preseason mm-hmm. predictions. Um, I just look at the schedule, and there just feels like there's a lot of landmines on the mm. schedule. I just feel like. Florida, even at Baylor, like week two, like that's that's not a game that typically, uh, you know, you go on the road a Power Five venue. It's like anything can happen in those type of games. Like, and they just there's we talked about how strong the Pac-12 is this year, and you, uh, Utah basically plays everybody. Like they got UCLA, Oregon State, USC, Oregon, Washington. Like they got all the contenders are on their schedule, and and then like who knows season finale with Colorado. Like that seems they got a whole season under Dion, you know, maybe they're, they've kind of matured, come, come together. It's like, they're probably going to be playing for their season and trying to get to a bowl game, that sort of thing. And looking for their marquee win. I don't know. I think Utah, I just, I don't think they get through that schedule with, with, uh, less than two losses. So that's why I just, I don't, I don't see them as a playoff team this year, but Hey, I wouldn't be the first one that's, um, counted Kyle Whittingham and the Utes out. So they're used to not having any of the preseason predictions. I I agree. They're better under the radar. They're they're a team better suited to fly under the radar. So we'll see what happens. But the but Gators, I am not counting that as a win uh, week one. Like, I don't know what Florida's going to be, but that was a great game last year. And so we'll, we'll see what happens. Utah better win the Urban Bowl 
this year. You can't go 0 for 2 against this uh, Billy Napier crew. And if it's Graham Mertz and company, you can't let them you come just, in. you got to think Billy Napier is a better coach right now than he was game one of the of his Florida tenure last year with a brand-new roster. They obviously had Anthony Richardson, but we've talked about it. Like, Anthony Richardson wasn't really that good at Florida. So he was – obviously, that the Utah game was one of his best games, but – I mean, he, he is a lot of good and a lot of bad. So if you got a more consistent, a Graham Mertz, if he is that just more steady hand, no highs, no lows, then, you know, maybe Florida's got a good run game. You know, I, they, they might have something. You know, I'm a year two uh, believer in head coaches. So I don't know. I just I don't think that's going to be – it's going to be Thursday night in Salt Lake City. It's going to be rowdy. But uh, I don't know. The Gators have been in some, in some rowdy environments uh, before. There you go. Matt Green, Texas. Do you think they are the team that makes their first college ball playoff appearance in 2023, 2024? I kind of outlined what I thought, but you go first before I jump back in here on the on the horns getting through. I guess I uh, kind of spoiled uh, what I was going to say already, but I, I don't think – I mean, I think they're definitely a contender. If I got to pick a second team on this list – Texas is definitely it. They just, like you said, the wide receivers with Quinn Ewers, like it's 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 kind of it's a huge year for Sarkeesian. Like the the pressure is definitely there on Texas to have their breakthrough year. Like it's kind of crazy that the pressure is what it is when you have at Alabama on the schedule. It's like that's like a guarantee L for the last decade and a half, basically. So. Um, but with what Alabama looks like right now and what Texas looks like right now, like that's going to be, that's going to be like a touchdown line or something like a, a, a less than a touchdown line. Like it's going to be a really close one. So Texas does look really good on paper, but it's like, don't we always think Texas looks good on paper? So it's, it's hard. It's hard to know exactly what you're going to get. And it, I feel so dumb just being like, well, Listen, this time it's different because that's the thing when you ever make the case for Texas is you always just, it's the boy who cried wolf at this point where I'm like, look, 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 this year it's different. Like this is the, and it's silly because like we've actually seen it multiple times in our lifetime, Matt Green, like the Colt, like they were there, like Colt McCoy got hurt and Garrett Gilbert had to step in and the Bama Texas title game didn't go well. But they made the national title. But Vince yeah, they Young. were a different program back in the Vince Young, Colt McCoy days. Like, but they what were I'm saying is, they, were, they still have the talent. Program. They still recruit the same way. They still are bringing in top ten class after top ten class. They have the dudes. Steve Sarkeesian. We've seen success at USC, at Washington, at Alabama, even with the Falcons. Quinn Ewers is the forgotten, just like superstar recruit who. Kind of fell off the radar because he did the Ohio State thing for a little bit. And then last year, who was playing really well, um, as we talked about uh, in that Alabama-Texas recap from months ago, Matt Green was just that, like, what does that game look like in the end if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt? Because he was dealing. And what happens when he doesn't have a B. John Robinson or a, uh, what is it, Roshan Johnson? Was that the uh, yeah. the backup? Yeah. Uh, losing both backs where people are, might be a little worried. What if it goes the other way, where they have to pass more, where Quinn has to do more stuff with his with his arm because he doesn't have the superstar otherworld tailback and uh, Bijan behind him? That he, He's going to have to find Xavier Worthy. He's going to have to find A.D. Mitchell. He's going to have to find all these dudes. And I think that's a positive. I think 
you can make the case Texas has the best trio of wideouts heading into the 2023 season. I think that's fair. And look, uh, the defense was great last year. Um, I think you can make the case Quinn Ewers has the talent to have a Heisman type year for Texas. That obviously helps their chances significantly. They have the talent. They're in the blue chip ratio. They have to beat Bama on the road this time. They blew it at home last year. So now you got to go into Tuscaloosa and win that game. It's going to be very different. It's obviously going to be a big game for, I'm sure college game day will be there for uh, Bama, Texas. Like it's just going to be, it's going to be tough regardless of what we think about Alabama at this point. Like Bama should be favored and it's going to be big. Oklahoma is always Oklahoma, Texas, but they were 24th in scoring last year. If you want to make the playoff, guess what? You got to be top 10. Like that's just the name of the game. You got to, you've got to be better. You were good. You got to be elite offensively this year that has to happen under steve sarkeesian you're an offensive genius you got to do it you also There's also just, this idea that quinn ewers got hurt versus alabama and then was out for the season or something like mm-hmm. he missed like a couple games and then he got a lot of mediocre games from quinn ewers if we're being honest like say with maybe with the offensive line or whatever the case may be or the inconsistent receiver play or whatever it was he had a lot of dud games and he had some good he had some bad so you also need to see Quinn Ewers be more consistent. I mean, I agree, but I also think it's possible. Like he has the talent to be more consistent. I think that defense has the pieces to be a top 20 defense and uh, scoring. If they're top 10 in offense, top 20, top 20, 30 in defense, that just, that screams 11 and one type year for them. And they can be there. Uh, this schedule is not that terrifying. Like a, you look at this, the biggest landmine is obviously at Alabama, but you beat Oklahoma, I you get Kansas State at home, like you get Texas Tech at home to end the year. You gotta go to Baylor, but I think Baylor will be down a little bit. You get Kansas at home this time. Like it's really just TCU is the only other red flag here on the road because TCU's kinda owned Texas the last couple of years. So that's probably one I have circled too to see if they can break through. But I like the schedule. I think worst case scenario it's ten and two for the horns. And you if you're a Texas fan, you should expect eleven and one and a really breakthrough college football playoff knocking at the door type year from them i think that's fair the pressure is going to be on for sark and company in austin because i think there is enough talent on this roster that they should be making strides and be a playoff team this year i think that's fair and i think the tcu thing last year like that you cannot ignore the tcu factor and what that does to the degrees of of steve sarkeesian's seat you know Mm -hmm. it's like the second they made the college football playoff, Steve Sarkeesian's seat got a little bit warmer. It's like this, this dude's in year one. Mm. We're fucking Texas. Like, and we're in year three now. That was last year's year two of Sarkeesian, right? Mm. Or Sarkeesian, right? Mm. So he's going into year three. If they don't actually, if they're not at least in the big 12 championship and a chance to go to the playoff, I think there's a lot of people that are wondering like, if he is that guy, if he's the guy, right guy for the job. Like he's, he still has a lot to prove for this fan base. I agree. Um, Texas A&M staying in state here because these two teams got lapped or got passed by TCU to become the first uh, Texas school to make the college football playoff, just as we all predicted when the college football playoff came about that the the frogs would end up making it first. But Matt Green, you kind of alluded right, to Baylor. it. Baylor should have made the, potentially should have made the very first one too. And, and none of them, none of them got in there before TCU. No, it was uh, the Hypnotoads. They made it through. Um, A&M though, by Petrino. And there is the fold here. 
Jim Chaney, I think, is like an offensive analyst at AM now. Uh, you've got DJ Durkin calling the defense. You've got talent everywhere, Matt Green. They lost some stuff to the portal, but guess what? I was going through it. AM, there's a lot of reason for optimism here. Like, I think, look, AM fans, I know you've heard this before, but like, there is a lot of reasons for optimism. I know you are a pretty big fan of the Bobby Petrino offensive coordinator, hire Matt Green. Here's the thing. When you look at this and how their season went last year, obviously five and seven missed the ball game, unacceptable to AM. They've got talent in the right spots. They are loaded on the trenches, in the trenches with talent. Like you look at it, five star, five star, and productive dudes on both sides of the ball there. That's gonna be huge come SEC time. Where I'm like, this is this this is a good starting point. And then you get Bama at home again. We know what happened the last time they got Bama at home in uh, College Station. They got a win. So, that's nice. You got to go to Tennessee, which we talked about. That's going to be maybe, I would say that's probably their biggest game of the year. Like, that's going to be a big test because you want to be able to see that you can win in a shootout against a now juggernaut uh, in Neyland. Obviously, it's a ra- just going to be a crazy, crazy in- environment uh, for A&M and uh, te- in Tennessee. So, we'll see what that looks like for them. But that's a big one for, for the Yaggies. I think 10 and 2 with some help puts them in the CFP conversation. Like, I don't know if it gets them in, but like, we forget Matt Green. A couple years ago, they were knocking on the door in the COVID year of making the college football playoff. They have flirted with it in the Jimbo era. It's not like it's been 5 and 7, 5 and 7, just not working out. We've seen the best, and the best is close to a college football playoff team. And part of that is because their defense is usually pretty good borderline elite under this era and that's why it's so frustrating is that like it's a jimbo it's everything's about jimbo 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 but it's like the defense has kept this thing even afloat because of how tough the offense is so if by Petrino gives any kind of jolt then you're suddenly really cooking with grease because of the players they already have in this system like connor wegman five-star kid could be a star we'll see but like in the five games the aggies won last year matt green they held opponents to 11 points per game. Like, that's top 10 in the country. I was just going through different things. And it's like, when they win, they smother you. And the defense is one of the best you'll see. They were the number one pass defense in the SEC last year. That's probably, I don't know if they'll be number one again, but you want to be the number one pass defense in the SEC if you want to win football games. So they have talent all across the board. They're coached well. Like, you could see it. Like, they'll, you could see... A&M breaking through with another elite year from their defense in combination with their wideouts. Love their wideouts as well. Connor Wegman takes a step forward. The offensive line should be fine. The defensive line should be fine. I think the secondary will be elite once again. You're like, there is enough elements here that I think them breaking through and making the college well playoff, or at least being in the conversation come late November is a distinct possibility. Do you agree? Absolutely. I think when you were talking about Texas having the best wide receiver, trio of wide receivers in the country, like A&M was probably the first team I thought of that they might have a better trio than Texas does. Like they have mm-hmm. playmakers and Wegman, he looked, once he took over, the offense did look more competent. It's hard mm-hmm. to say it ever looked good. They scored 30 points twice the whole season. So it was never really good, but at least had a pulse and they had the big win over LSU. Um, so yeah, I, I think we know how they've recruited and yeah, like you said, 
I've I've been vocal on here before the the Bobby Petrino Jimbo stuff. It's starting to feel like some of the Brian Kelly stuff we heard last year of like, oh, it's haha. Look at this. Look how he talks. Look at the the dancing, whatever. And you, it's like you forget that Brian Kelly was a damn good football coach at multiple mm-hmm. destinations. Just a very good coach by all accounts. And Bobby Petrino is one of the best offensive minds in college football. The last decade plus two decades that we've seen so if that's that's clearly been a&m's biggest weakness has been the offensive side of the ball you saw what a todd munkin could come in and and do what georgia was on offense in 2019 and 2020 well 2020 was munkin but still in the the whole covid and the sets and bennett and everything uh dwan mathis kerfuffle but uh you saw what the steps that georgia's offense took under the right offensive coordinator so I think A&M could see a similar, uh, you know, boost. And the the biggest thing is a, a vulnerable Alabama in the SEC West. Like, mm. because it's, it doesn't feel like the most juggernaut of juggernaut Alabama teams coming into 2023. And you have them at home. It's like, sometimes you need to be, you know, more lucky than good. And, and things, you know, just kind of work out in your favor. Like, every time LSU has made the playoff for the national championship – the game seems to be in the Superdome. I'm not sure how that works, but it happens every time. It's like sometimes things just align for you. So A&M, this, this could be the year. Like LSU, I would probably say is going to be the preseason favorite in the West, but it's going to be close with with uh, them in Alabama. So this is kind of pro- – it's probably more – I'd have to look at the you know the history of the voting, but I would say a more of a, of a mixed bag on like – who the media is going to pick to win the SEC West next year. And that definitely works in their favor. Yeah, I think it's going to be – I mean, you make the case that it's a four-team race, right? Like I would say LSU, Arkansas, Bama, and A&M. Like you could make the case I mean, for it's hard four. to even put Arkansas in there. I would say L- Alabama, LSU, and, and A&M for sure. Obviously, A&M was at the bottom there or last year. But Arkansas is obviously going to – you know, think they can, and it, and Auburn is Auburn. Like, never gonna, it's a never gonna early. discount Auburn. Like, who knows what they're capable of? Gene, um, not, Gus Malzahn, year one, they played for a national title. So, That's you know, true. who knows with Auburn? That's true. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. We didn't even put Auburn on this list of of potential playoff teams. Like, they're well, definitely they don't make right. The cut. Well, they're definitely no, right there first, where like a Florida is. Well, no, this is the first appearance ever. Um, they've made the playoff. No, Auburn's never made the playoff. Yes, they did. No, 2013, that was the last uh, BCS. The Dick Marshall year wasn't the playoff? No, that was BCS. Uh, Florida State. That's uh, right. Yeah, that was the last I one. I guess Auburn hasn't. No, so they're definitely a candidate, just like Florida is. And Oh, I forgot. I, I forgot about Auburn. Not being, okay, well, there you go. Auburn is another one on this list, but I just I don't think they're a candidate in 2023. I don't think Peyton Thorne's getting them there. I wouldn't think so. Uh, Penn State here, uh, and our final two here, Matt Green. Penn State, you have a lot to say about the the Nittany Lions. Go ahead here. I'll let you lead this because I feel like I might lead the Tennessee one. <laughs> I just I think Penn State, like James Franklin, he's definitely one of those like I don't know, kind of polarizing coaches. I feel like at this point because mm-hmm. there's a lot of oh, what does he what does he want, and then a lot of people are like oh, for what he's doing at Penn State, you know, he's one of the best coaches out there. But that does only take you so far because Penn mm. State is – it's not 
this isn't Vanderbilt. Like winning nine games at Vanderbilt, like build the man a statue. Like that's just a that's absurd. I think he did it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but at Penn State, they do have the resources. They might not be what you want to call a blue blood or whatever. And you know the athletes aren't coming out of the Midwest and the Northeast like you know they once were, and uh, in, in Big Ten country, but. Penn State is still a powerhouse program, and they had the good 2016 where, you know, they had a case for being in the playoff, but that's the only time they've really even sniffed it. Like, last year last year felt like such a Mark Richt Georgia season for, for Penn mm. State. It was just, like, 10-2, and loss to the two best teams you played. You look around, and you're like, look, we're, like, number seven or number eight. We're a really good team. Just having to convince everybody that you're a really good team. But it's like, you got to show me. Like, you, we, whenever it's the big game, like, you don't really, you know, we believe in the at, big game atmosphere with Penn State, but, you know, it's more times than not, they haven't they haven't gotten it done. So I, I think with Michigan, you know, being what they are, like, they were, they were a great team last year, but I don't feel like they were necessarily as dominant as some of, as like the feeling that they have right now. You know what I mean? Like, they feel like they blew out Ohio State last year. And... Final score they did, but like that was a, that game was a a back and forth game halfway through the fourth quarter, right? Like it the the score the score went lopsided, but I think I don't think Penn State, Michigan is just some insurmountable force in the in the Big Ten East. Obviously, just playing in the Big Ten East in general, maybe Wisconsin or someone's got a better chance of getting in the playoff than someone like Penn State. But I do think the level of players Penn State's been getting in recent years, like they're upping their recruiting, like they got great running backs. And I think uh, Drew Allard, like he showed some signs last year. He he showed like, he he looks like he's got a higher ceiling than who am I blanking on? Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford. So I don't know. I think that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to. If Allard can kind of take them to the next level. And I might be pronouncing his name wrong. I don't know if it's Allard, Allard. It's going to be one of those we have to just listen to the broadcast because I swear, even when I listen to other college ball podcasts, it's like I've heard Aller and all Aller and I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to say Aller until uh, otherwise. Uh, but look, Drew Aller, I think the ceiling's higher. You knew what you were getting in Clifford, and there is some comfort in that because the dude did win a bunch of games uh, in Happy Valley for the Nittany Lions, the dude was a gamer and played Funny hard. enough, maybe he was there, Aaron Murray, and it was Mark Rick's season. It was like, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it was a real, real gritty guy. I'm sure the fan base, he's a he's a damn good dog, whatever they call Penn State. He's a damn good lion. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a tough guy, but it's like he seemed like he just he, – he had a real ceiling on what his ability was. Yeah, and look, that's okay. Uh, but – I mean, Aller, he could, that's a difference maker. Like, does he get them where, look, they were 82nd, Matt Green, and third down conversions in the country last year. That's got to get cleaned up. You can't be near the bottom in FBS and third down conversion rate. Like, that's not a recipe for uh, making it into the college football playoff and ending that drought. Uh, but the defense is really good, and I think that's another underrated part of uh, the what James Franklin's built there is the offenses saw putting dudes in the NFL, but like they were third in yards per attempt last year, uh, in the big 10. Um, you, like you said, you get Michigan at home. That's their season right there at Ohio state, like not as big if you can beat Michigan at home and then you get a neutral side against Michigan state now. So I think there is a realistic path and I agree with you. If not this year, when is it, uh, for the Nittany lions? And I think it's fair to say, Hey, if you're a Penn state fan, 
you should expect like we're in the college ball playoff conversation, uh, especially based on how last year went. Like, all right, that was it. What they finished uh, ten and two in the regular season, unless I'm misremembering it. Yeah, 10 you should and be two. better this year. You should be eleven and one. You should break through. <clears throat> what do you think about this comparison? I feel like James Franklin is more like Kirby Smart, whereas Steve Sarkeesian is like Ryan Day. So like Ryan Day and Kirby Smart are both under a bunch of pressure prior to like winning. I, Ryan Day still hasn't won a national championship, but with Ryan Day, it's like you're. We're not sure we're better today than we were the day you took over. You know, and this with you look at Texas and Sarkeesian. It feels a little better, but you're not actually sure that it's even better than it was when he got there. Like, they're getting some big-time recruits now. Like, sure, but the win-loss total hasn't even improved. Whereas with with James Franklin, it's more like a Kirby Smart. Like, from the exterior, it was, Georgia's got to win a national championship, or, or if they don't do it now, when are they ever going to do it? But within Georgia circles, everyone's like, okay, things are as great as they've ever been. Eventually this guy's got to get us a championship. That's kind of how it feels to me for, as a from Penn state is it's like, there's a, there's pressure from the outside, but Penn state people know like, oh man, those years before James Franklin, it was so much worse. Like we're at least like our, our disappointing years were, we're finishing ranked, you know, like, so I, I think there's, there's some external pressure on James Franklin, but I don't know if it's like his seat gets any hotter if they don't make the big 10 championship this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I would agree. Um, but I am curious, like, Franklin, like, does he get more interest from somewhere else this offseason? He's always rumored for, like, a lot of bigger-time jobs, but he's got to yeah. get him in Happy Valley. And I know he's from Pennsylvania, so maybe he's good there for, for the long term. And I'm not sure Penn State can do better than James Franklin, which is another point there. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, the last one here. Tennessee, have you heard of them? Who? Have you heard of the Vols? No, I is this a women's basketball? What are we talking about? Hey, a lot of success there too. <laughs> um, Tennessee though has not made the college ball playoff yet. They uh, go into this year new quarterback. They were obviously number one in the country for a little bit last year. They had the spot uh, kind of sealed up if they take care of business against uh, South Carolina on the road, and obviously that did not go. Uh, the way any Tennessee fan had hoped. I'm curious to see if those orange helmets ever make their way back into uh, the Tennessee locker room. My gut tells me we won't see those bad boys uh, around for a long time, but the case for Tennessee making it this year, I think I would still bet against it. I still think in my heart of hearts, they take a step back. I'm not saying a big step back. I think this feels more like a nine and three, eight and four team to me with progress on defense like, we're going to see what happens with Joshua Josephs, James Pierce on the edge. Roman Harrison is still probably going to start at that Leo spot. They need a big year from Tyler Barron on the opposite side. A um, lot of infusion of talent on the defensive line all across the board. Those guys have to pop. Like, you have to have the Tyree West, those guys. Norman Lott, from the transfer from Arizona State. You need Omari Thomas to have another big year as the leader of this defensive line. They need to have a big years. They need to burst through some of these four-star kids need to start breaking through a hot and then some of the five stars like the david hobbs and company who uh are into the fold they need to start rotating arian carter two deep linebacker four-star linebacker freshman from tennessee he's got to play aaron beasley keenan peely 
linebacker transfer from BYU. He's got to be really good out of the Did gate. Did you say Keenan Peely? Nah, Keenan Peely, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Um, old dude. Already married, I think, <laughs> um, on campus. So he's, a, he's an old soul. But uh, by all accounts, good leader and probably a tackling machine if he's healthy. Then you look at the secondary. Can't possibly be any worse than what they were a year ago. So, look, that can't be as bad as it was if you want to make the college ball playoff uh, this year. I'm really build off that. Jordan Matthews entered the fold. Gabe Judy Lawley also enters the fold. Another BYU kid. Um, I'm interested to see if he starts. Kamal Haddon, it looks like, is a starter out of spring practice. So, we'll see if he carries that into it. The secondary's got to be, get better, though. I'm not feeling great about the safeties. Jalen McCullough and uh, Wesley Walker and Terry McDonald. <sighs> not a lot of upside there. Okay, but not a lot of upside there. Exposable to Nico Slaughter. Where does he fit? Is he a safety? Is he a corner? All that to say, I think the defense takes a step forward, and I think they're better in 2023. I don't think the offense is better than what the best of it was last year. I'm still like, there's still like a floor for Josh Heupel's offense, I think, in the sport. I mean, like, it wasn't easy. People forget, kind of like with Stetson in 2021 and Georgia's offense where it's like it was pretty pretty off kilter and it wasn't smooth in 2021 until really the end of the the season where Tennessee really started figuring stuff out with Hypel and what they were trying to do like it was rough I was in the building for a lot of those early weeks with Joe Milton and then the early part of Hendon Hooker uh taking over I'm curious to see because Joe Milton obviously did not throw a pick he has all this upside he is going to be a fan favorite national media is going to love this story he can throw the ball 85 yards he did it again this week standing backflips all that stuff they have talent at wide receiver they should be fine there the i don't see this offense falling out of the top 10 in scoring however i don't trust joe milton in tuscaloosa i don't trust this offensive line in tuscaloosa i don't trust this offensive line against georgia at home i don't know if i trust this line at kentucky and what kentucky's gonna look like this year like they're gonna kill virginia in the opener they're gonna take care of the games they're supposed to but like what does that offensive line look like against AM at home AM's gonna have dudes on the defensive line coming into Nealon. like what if john campbell the transfer left tackle can't hold up what if the right tackle spot is just a disaster with gerald mincy and jj crawford left guard still very much up in the air like is it ollie lane i don't know I think the offensive line is going to be worse. Losing Darnell Wright is going to really hurt this team, I think, this year. And the thing about Hendon Hooker, too, not only was he just an unbelievable leader, person, player, all that, It's he moved around in the pocket. He knew when to take off and go get the first down. When the first read wasn't there, things broke down. He took care of business. Joe Milton in the bowl game, if you go back, a lot of three and outs, took a lot of bad sacks. So he had the big plays to scroll down the field, but it wasn't clean. It wasn't always just humming like it was with Hooker all year long i am very concerned with this offense and what joe milton looks like if the offensive line takes a big step back he takes the bad sacks he is reluctant to take off he's more of a statue guy i don't think that's a recipe for a college football playoff year so i don't think they're going to end the drought this year now in 2024 12 team playoff nico with a full year red shirt a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. They'll be right there in the blue chip ratio. I could see it. Like, you could easily talk me into them being a playoff team next year. 
This year? Well, 12 team, the whole meaning of a playoff team kind of changes. I still think it's not going to be a cakewalk for an SEC, like SEC to get three teams in. Of course, but a playoff contender, when you're saying, I think they could finish top 12 or finish top four, this is completely different at that point. That's fair. I would just say that, like, even top four next year would not surprise me. Like, if if Nico is as good as he possibly can be, and with the talent they have now, both sides, the ball, and how they've recruited – I could see them being a top four team, even a preseason top four team going into 2024. I don't see it this year. And that's just, that's me. If it is the case, that means the offensive line was fine. And that means the defense took a significant step forward. And that means Joe Milton is going top five in the NFL draft. All those things have to happen for Tennessee to win that playoff draft. Joe Milton has to have a Joe Burrow like breakout year this one-year blip where he finally puts it all together, impossible to sack, takes off way more, is so much more trustworthy in big games, in close games, which we haven't seen yet, not running out of bounds on fourth down with the game on the line against a big team like Ole Miss at home. Can't do that against AM at home on primetime, let's hope. Like, I just need to see it. And maybe that happens. Joe Milton has the talent for that to happen, but that's just not where I'm at. What do you think? Yeah, I just I don't necessarily see it this year, and, and I'm I'm trust me, I'm not I'm not here to be the to rain on the Tennessee Volunteer Parade, but have Tennessee fans considered the possibility that the number one ranking in November of 2022 is as good as it ever gets? Like you yeah, look at Dan Mullen, you look at Mississippi State, like 2014. Like we love to talk about, like what they did in 2014. It's like, what did Mississippi State ever do after that? It's like they they had some some nine and four seasons. Like they had some years where they were good, finished ranked. Like South Florida, they were ranked like number two that one year. Like nothing ever amounted to anything for South Florida. They they ended up you know eight and five next year, whatever they were. It's like. So there's a there's like this notion that it's just uh that progress is just is like linear, you know? It's like, oh, they went what did they go 7 and 6 in 2021, followed up with 11 and 2. 11 and 2 is that what Tennessee did last mm. year. That it's like, oh, now they're going to be in the playoff and it's like hold on now. This the stars may have aligned for the 11 and 2 and Tennessee I think does take a step back. Like I think there's I think the schedule plays out pretty solid for him. Like other than at Florida early, it's like that's in terms of having to go into a hostile environment early in the year, like other than the fact that Tennessee like never wins at Florida in the last 15 years, like just that's, that's extra, you know, that's extra stuff that we talk about as college football fans, but that doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter that what Florida was doing in 2013 and 2015 and 2009 when they were playing Florida, that doesn't really affect this or when they were playing Tennessee, that doesn't affect this game, but psychologically Tennessee fans feel it and they feel an extra pressure when you, when playing in the swamp. But if they can get over that, I feel like that just buys them. That just gives them so much confidence. I think kind of getting that swamp win off their back. Um, so they're, if they beat Florida, they're going to start four and and then obviously having A and M and and Alabama right there back to back is just super tough. But if you can get through that, all of that with like one or two losses, like and then you're you're set up the eleventh game of the season most likely uh, with Georgia. And 
like to actually have a chance to like a win over Georgia could could win the East. Like that's what really all you want as a Tennessee fan is for that that December or November 18th game to Georgia against Georgia to be for the SEC East. Like if that's if that's what the season happens in the season it's basically a success. I would agree. I I think you're right about Florida. I think that will tell me everything I need to know about where the season's going. Like Florida, you have to get over it. Like it's one thing to win at home, but it's another thing to go into the swamp where they haven't won in forever. And South Carolina at home, I think they'll be fine. A&M at home, I still think they'll be fine. I just on the road at Florida, on the road at Bama, you're asking a lot to beat Bama back to back years, beat Saban back to back years. And yeah. then if you don't beat Saban at Alabama, then you have to beat Georgia at home with really with Hendon Hooker back and like ever, like no question marks on the offense. It's tough to navigate this schedule and like going at and beating Saban back to back with the added variable of like Joe Milton could be great and he could be awful. Like it's mm. like we really don't even know what the ceiling or the the floor is for Joe Milton at this point. So it could be Nico. Like it could be a disastrous year where you lose four or five games. But it could also be a year where you're playing for the SEC championship. So I think I think Tennessee's got got a lot of variables. But I mean, I just I look at what Georgia is probably going to be, and that's just that's going to be a tough one to get over. So if you're if you got two losses going into that game versus Georgia, and and Georgia's undefeated, and it's like you're not that, a playoff team. That result doesn't really matter. It's like that'll be a, a a little discouraging as a Tennessee fan. But if you go nine and three. You know, ten and three. If you win a bowl game, it's that's really not. If that if that's if that's the disappointing year in year three of Heupel, then you know you'll you'll take that and move to year four. The most Tennessee thing ever would be to lose to Florida, lose to Bama, and then beat Georgia, and none of it mattering. Like to get over the Georgia hump and just have the upset of the century, and then it doesn't matter because of the two early losses, and you're not a playoff team. Yeah, absolutely. I think. I mean, to have to have that game actually mean something in Knoxville, like that crowd is going to be absolutely insane. So I'm I'm hoping, and, and Georgia's not a guarantee to be you know undefeated at, at ten and zero either. So it's like Georgia could have a loss on their schedule. We don't know where the loss is going to come. It feels like Tennessee is probably the the most likely if you had to pick one on the schedule. But you know. It, college football is a tricky sport, so you, you still got to play the games, and you know you never know. I would say Auburn is more likely. If I had to pick one of like most, just at Auburn, it's just it could I could see just the game from hell, the A and M Bama type game from two years ago. Like it would like something like that where it, Auburn will like they've put in a bunch of work in the portal. Like they are going to have a bunch of talent everywhere, and if Peyton Thorne's good, I mean that game's always it always has the potential in Jordan hair to get a little frisky for, for the dogs. Like I look, I love Tennessee. I hope that they are right there with the dogs um, come late November, but like, I don't know what, who's going to be under center by that point. I don't know what Tennessee looks like at that point. Auburn early on Georgia could overlook them based on what happened last year. Hugh freeze obviously has a lot of success. Uh, I mean, against wasn't Kirby, the DC at Alabama when, uh, he beat them with Ole Miss. Yeah, that would have been 14, 14 and 15, I think. They beat them back-to-back, yeah. back, right? Yeah, that would have been Kirby at so, Alabama. It wouldn't shock me. Like, I don't think they're going to do it. But, like, if I had to say between the two, yeah. who I would say is more likely, especially based on the time they're playing, I'm like, eh, I could see it. more. I think Auburn, to me, feels more frisky 
then that's fair you you might tennessee might be a lot more established by game 11 but there's mm. also a chance that georgia is a lot more established yes. by game 11 as well so yeah and if you just go about by hugh freeze versus josh heupel like kirby smarts had significantly more success versus heupel versus uh, as opposed to freeze yeah and even uh even year one of of a kirby granted that's year one and they lost to vanderbilt that year but uh, the Chad Kelly and that Ole Miss team uh, put a huge number on Georgia. I think that was like twenty-eight zero in like the first half. That's what. So there you go. Um, that's, but that's what was that was twenty sixteen Georgia, and that that defense has come a long way since then. There you go. Uh, well, that's all I've got, Matt Green. Anything you want to add as we wrap up here? Who is your final pick here as most likely of of this group to make it? Penn State. I would have to go Penn State. I think okay. this could be the year, but I think. It was shocking to me. We didn't even get into USC, which no. I would. I had USC probably at the top of my list because I think mm. with what Lincoln Riley's done, like none of those Oklahoma teams could play defense either, and he, he managed to make the playoff a couple times. So I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule them out because we know the way they've been uh, accumulating talent. So USC is definitely, especially if if you're just going by this year, like talking big picture, like A&M could be there, Tennessee could be there, but like I I don't know about it in 2023. Uh, I think Penn State and USC, they could both potentially get that done this year. Okay. But hey, like I said before, everyone's always counting out the youths. So, you know, it wouldn't wouldn't shock me if they end up winning the Pac-12 again. No, uh, that's what they want. They want you to count out, count out the Utes. That's what they, that's what they want, Matt Green. Oh, that but guy, the last, hey. last thing I didn't even say, 94 days till college football season, sir. So uh, I didn't have a number 94. You got one off the top of your head? Quentin Moses is the first Georgia one I think of off the top of my head. Uh, Butler. Butler. Just got drafted uh, by the Saints a couple years ago. Uh, the leader of the defensive line for Tennessee. Ah, fair enough. See, yeah. Uh, I'm now I'm like double checking. Uh, yeah, Matthew Butler was 94. I just want to make sure. It's the first one that came to mind. There you go, Matt Green. 94 days. 94 days for that guy down there in Decatur, Georgia. Matt Green. I am Chase Thomas, and that will do it for this edition of the Full Ride here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. And we will talk to y'all next week. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.